Hello and welcome to another Hello! Welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck with the Original. I'm your host, Casper. And I'm your other host, Becky Gremlin. Here's to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays because Wednesdays, as always, are for podcast. Tonight is our true crime episode, guys, on Mr. No Name. <laughs> Still from last podcast on the left because that was really funny. Mr. Charles Manson. We've been getting a I don't know where this British cat is coming. Mr. Charles Manson. The man who has been thought of as very evil even though he's never killed. Although he might have killed at least one. Okay, I'm done. I'm starting <laughs> to get into Southern. It's not that, was, that was funny. That was hilarious. <laughs> it was like a totally... It was still there, but it was like a totally different dialect. I was like starting to become... <clears throat> Someone from Georgia in England. <laughs> it was just not working. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've been getting a lot of people wanting a Charles Manson episode. And his birthday is this month. It was the 12th, right? Yes. Um, if he would have lived, he would have been... Oh, God. Well, yeah, he died when he was 83. He'd be 85. Thank um, you. So, I was like, math. Then, <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> Yesterday was actually the two-year anniversary of his death, so... Oh, wow. Yeah. He died on November 19th of 2017. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yep. Um, also, he was born in Cincinnati. So we decided to give him a little shout on this November. Yeah, we thought it was a pretty, you know, he is one that is usually pretty heavily requested anytime anybody's doing true crime. You know, you get your Bundy, your Dahmer, your Manson out of the way. So, uh, <laughs> we're, just, we're just getting them out of the way. Yeah, we're just getting them out of the way. You know, the main ones, we got them. We're good. Getting them out of the way. Um, but you know, they're still, they, no matter what you've heard about them, seen about them, know about them, uh, everybody is still interested. It's still always a topic of conversation. Uh, Especially because it's like, you, everybody thinks different. <clears throat> everybody thinks the same, but yet everybody thinks differently about every all of them right so it's like you can listen to a different podcast that's going to talk about the same subject matter but they may talk about it differently or have a different outlook or you know stuff like that because i'm sure every podcast in the entire world has done a charles manson episode well like we gave our little <clears throat> shout out to last podcast on the left this was a <clears throat> excuse me a three-part episode that they did back i think on like episode like 147 147 now. and uh this one was actually told uh, more so from Manson's point of view, a book that Manson, sort of a pseudo autobiography that Manson wrote called Manson in His Own Words. Uh, and, uh, you know, those guys are kind of wacky and goofy and do this sort of like voiceover of Manson. And, that like, was really funny, by the way. Giving excerpts <laughs> from the book in his own voice kind of thing. Um, so that, that was really, that was really funny, but their take on it was very interesting, um, because it was almost as if you were sort of hearing parts of it from Manson's point of view. So yeah, like we said, just about every podcast that does anything true crime has delved into Manson. Uh, so we'll probably have a different take on it than others, but, um, as always, you know, usually our source material is Wikipedia. Um, I'm also going to be referencing my big book of crime um it's called the chronicle of crime <laughs> it's the cry it's the book she keeps I track of her crime in love this book so much it's by Take martin it. fido uh it's literally it goes just 
through the centuries. It literally Didn't you starts use that from, one for Bundy, too? Yeah, I used a little bit of it for Dahmer. It Didn't you use it from, from Lizzie Borden as well? Wasn't she too. in there? 1800 to 2004, I think. Yeah. So it literally goes from every century. I cannot get this fucking page. It just like does not want to turn. It's like, no, I don't want to turn. Yeah, 2004. 1800 to 2004. So it literally goes through Everybody. Like, like two, 300 years of nothing but crime in like every facet everywhere. So it's pretty big wealth of knowledge. Um, and they do delve into a big part of it all about Manson because, um, you know, the other real... Cra- uh, crazy aspect of this story with Manson too is two things like the fact that what Casper mentioned he these the most famous murders that he was convicted of he didn't actually murder anyone um, and it also happened during the summer of love you know 1969 was like at the height of the hippie movement it was Woodstock it was peace and love man and you know it was just like summer of 69 <laughs> It was supposed to be like, <laughs> that's a really great song. It's a great Actually, song. by the way, my dad fucking loves Shut that song. Shut up, Brian Adams. And I love Brian Adams. I do. Who doesn't? But you should. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it was a year where it was supposed to be, you know, peace and love and, you know, everybody yeah, trying man. to get over the war and civil rights and a moment where the world was supposed to be coming together in this like really horrible horrific thing happened um yeah and we'll delve more into it because there's so many facets of this um this is one I've always really wanted to get into because like Bundy being one of my favorites Manson is one of my favorites and I think that's just because like we mentioned there's just a wealth of knowledge about him and I've probably watched everything I could get my hands on about him because he was a really interesting character um and you just watch interviews with him and he's so everything he says it's it's it is literally like you just you grasp on everything he says and you're just like what the fuck yeah he's (laughs) he was an interesting fellow uh i really think (laughs) this fellow his fellow um he was just yeah my personal opinion is that i think he was just nuts I think he was just a nutcase. I think he just... I think he's crazy! <laughs> like, and I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, No, like I'm he's batshit. I'm not trying to be stereotypical either. I'm not trying to say like, oh, mental illness. Like, no. He just was crazy. I think and he went I a little beyond mental illness. People... Well, when we get into his upbringing, there's some people that I think are just brought into this world under really bad circumstances, and then their whole life turns into a bad circumstance, and that's pretty much what happened to him. Um, yeah, his upbringing kind of He was just crazy enough with the right mixture of charisma that he, he was, was just able... the right amount of crazy and the right amount of charisma to make the right amount of Manson. He, yeah. And I'm sure there's a few more of them floating around out there. There's some Manson floaters. Oh, God. Some Flansons. Some Flatansons. Ladies, I'm sure we've had a few exes that have... Do do y'all have some Manson exes? Do we have some... Do you have some Mexes? Anybody out there, show of hands. Anybody out there have any Manson exes? I actually don't. Have some Manson tendencies, some Bundy-isms, some... Uh, Ooh, got some Bundy-isms. Dahmer-esque. Uh. Did you all ever date a cannibal? 
Did you have a cannibal in your life? If so, dial 1 800. <laughs> dial 1 800, sir, mix a lot. No, I'm just kidding. No, not for that. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, that took an ugly turn. My brain just came out with it before I thought about it. And then I was like, oh, I apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, Not big butts. No. Even though, would that be? Never no. mind. I, my brain. <laughs> My brain just hit the cannibal side of that and was oh, like... Oh, no! Hot cross buns. See how they run. <laughs> See how they run? Oh, my God. It just keeps getting worse. <laughs> the dark humor that's happening right now is so fucking terrible. Oh, my God. See how they run? That's so fucking terrible. I didn't mean... I'm so, I'm so sorry. I don't think either one of us mean. <laughs> okay, so you guys know that anytime we ever have to delve into this type of source material, we try to keep it as lighthearted and funny as possible because obviously a lot of this is going to get dark and deep. And um, we we do just want to say that even though uh, these we're not going to get too descriptive, pretty much everybody knows what happens with these murders. The most famous of them involved a pregnant woman. The other one involved children. We're not going to delve dark and deep. I mean, for God's sakes, the autopsy, the the crime scene, not autopsy, I'm sorry, the crime scene photos are, enough. are out there. Anybody can Google them and see them. We don't need to get into the horrors of exactly what happened. But, um, you know, we're probably going to delve more into who, who he is. was, his upbringing, his childhood, which is what we like to get into more with these true crime because I think that just speaks volumes into who they were as a person, which ultimately led them into madness. This, especially with this guy. So, like we said, um, he was born in Cincinnati. Um, it was November twelfth, nineteen thirty-four. Uh, what used to be the General Hospital in Cincinnati, which is now uh, the University of Cincinnati Hospital. Um, he was born to Kathleen Manson Bauer Cavender. I'm going to need you to say that three <laughs> times fast. This woman was literally married three times. So we'll say that she'll we'll just she go was Kathleen 16. Maddox. She was Kathleen Maddox when she had uh, baby Manson uh, at the time. Like oh, Casper that makes said. him sound cute. Baby Manson. <laughs> he was a cute little boy. He was People cute. ever see pictures of him when he was a little boy. He was actually adorable. So she was 16, like Casper mentioned. Um, so within weeks of him being born, he actually had no name. He didn't have any name. That was actually written on his birth certificate was no name Maddox. And no name. That's horrible. That's terrible. You mean to fucking tell me you can't think of any name at all? Not even like Steve. Nothing. Or John. <laughs> Ultimately, she settled on Charles. Um, he never knew who his biological father was. Uh, it appears that he was a colonel from Kentucky named Walker Henderson Scott Sr., who would have been an older man that Kathleen filed a paternity suit against um, that ultimately agreed in a judgment in 1937. Uh, but Manson never knew who his dad was. Um, Scott worked at local mills, uh, had a reputation of being a con artist. Uh, he just kind of had the name Colonel. He was never in the army. So that just kind of went more along with his cons of who he played to be up to people. Um, so 
this guy pretty much lied about everything. So I think if he actually was Charles's biological father, I think that plays in a lot to who Charles ultimately came to be. He was a con artist. He was a liar. He was a trickster. Nobody actually really knew. <laughs> According to him, he though, was. he never lied. Yeah, according to him, there was a lot of things. Um, according to Manson. There was a lot of things. Well, you know, and that was another thing that was interesting. The relationship with him and his mother uh, took different turns. So if you ask Manson in his words, his mom was just kind of this free-loving soul that was never really meant to be a mother. She just kind of wanted to do her colorful own thing flower? Is live that her own said? life. He said she would have been a hippie of the 30s. Yeah, a colorful flower. Um, to her, she, if you asked her, she did the best she could with what she had. Her parents pretty much neglected her because she was 16, having a baby out of wedlock to an older man. Um, and to neighbors, to people that knew her around the bars, she was a prostitute. She was a drunk. She uh, sold, there were several different things. She either left him in a bar for a pitcher of beer or she sold him for a pitcher of beer in the bar and just left him until neighbors came days later and brought him back because she just left him at the bar for a pitcher of beer. Because, um, you know, that's that's the currency you do. You're like, I kind of want a pitcher of beer. Do you have your firstborn son? Right? Yes, I do. <laughs> Big sign out in front of the bar, like, pitcher of beer for your firstborn son. Like, it all of a sudden becomes demonic. Like, you <laughs> get riches or shit, you just get a pitcher of beer. Like, I'm gonna need more than that for my firstborn son. Really? Way more than a pitcher of beer. And what kind of beer are we talking about? Is it God's Tears? Like, what is this beer made out of? Because if it's Miller Lite, fuck you. Like, <laughs> if it's beer, period, fuck you. <laughs> like, I can maybe like understand, like, the most expensive, nice beer in the world. I'd be like, for my firstborn son? No. Like, no. let me just leave him on the floor. No. <laughs> that's not working for me. Um, That's not working. So, again, oh, Charles. Like we mentioned. <laughs> If you ask anybody, you're going to get different stories. Charles says one thing. She says another. Neighbors and people around the neighborhood say one thing. Um, but ultimately, uh, around, let me see, 1934, um, this was actually before Manson hmm. was born, um, not too long before he was born. His mom actually got married to a man named William Eugene Manson, who... Uh, basically signed his birth certificate. So that's where the last name Manson came from, even though he wasn't his biological father. Um, his mom, again, would just go on drinking sprees for days. Um, he had a brother, Luther, that I think Luther's father would have been William. Um, but ultimately, Kathleen and William divorced in April of 1937, and it was due to gross neglect of duty. Um, in August of 1939... Uh, Maddox and Luther's girlfriend, Julia Vickers, spent the evening drinking with a man named Frank Martin. Um, oh, no. Okay, so this would have actually been... Luther wasn't Charles's brother. Luther was Kathleen's brother. I'm sorry. Um, so Kathleen and Luther's girlfriend spent the night drinking with a man um, who they thought was very wealthy, and they ultimately planned on robbing him. Um... They were arrested and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Kathleen only got five. And during that time, Manson spent with an aunt and uncle in West Virginia. Um, his mom was paroled in 42. 
And uh, Manson said that the first week, few weeks were the happiest time of his life. Uh, him and his mom spent a lot of time together. And that's really during that sad. time, she was kind of a a mom, basically. <laughs> you know, she was the mom that she, he was kind of hoping she would be. And that's, it is, it's awful. Because he just never got that. You know, he didn't have a dad. He didn't have any type of social structure on what a mother should be. You know, a mom is supposed to be a nurturer, not somebody that just gives you away. For being or, even if that didn't happen, you know, just this whole thing of, you know, obviously she had a problem if she's planning on robbing somebody and she spends five years in prison. And I mean, those five years, that's a pretty early part of a young child's life that you're without your mother. I mean, you remember that kind of thing. That kind of thing stays with you your whole life. So um, I'm sure a lot, like I said, a lot of this, I'm sure, played into who he ultimately became as a person. Um, they ended up moving to Charleston, West Virginia, uh, where he was truant from school. His mom did a lot of drinking. She was arrested, but never convicted of grand larceny. Um, and then after moving to Indianapolis, his mom attended AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Uh, she met another man named Lewis that she married in 1943. Um, Manson on top of skipping school, started stealing. And in 1947, um, his mom looked for a temporary foster home for him uh, because she just was pretty much done with trying to take care of him. I guess she was trying to get her life together and quit drinking, so she couldn't deal with him being unruly. So she sent him to a boy's home in Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, it was run by a Catholic priest. Uh, and Manson soon fled, but was sent back um, and then this led to him ultimately being sent to Boys Town in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, after he returned to his mother and ran away again, uh, oh no, he actually ended up renting a room and supported himself by burglary. Um, you know. The judge, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was something that his mom did. It was something that he got accustomed to doing, didn't want to spend any time in a boy's home, but ultimately was caught and was sent to boys town. It was a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, this place was, I'm trying to think what, which was the one. Oh no, this wasn't this one. This is when he gets to the one in Indiana. Yeah. He was in and out of a ton of boys homes. So after this one, this isn't the one that um, completely fucked him yet. Yeah. After this one, uh, he stole a car, robbed a grocery store, um, ended up making his way to Peoria, Illinois. Um, making his way downtown. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or uptown. Whichever da -da 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 -da. Way. I guess it would depend on where he's coming from. Make my way uptown. Uptown. There we go. We'll say. Uptown. There we go. Um, it's still work. Uptown boy. I'm sorry. I'm in a music mood, apparently. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. No. We'll have to change that up. We can, but we'll work it out. I'm like, so, there's got, there there will be a song that will match it. I got I'll you. Always find a song. Let me. I'm like, you're the Shazam. You'll I'm find the, a song uh, that that'll match it. That episode of SpongeBob where he's like all the little SpongeBob's in his brain where they go through the file cabinets. Yeah. That's, I got a bunch of little SpongeBob's in my brain going through <laughs> file cabinets of music. That's like, we'll find a song for that. Every single one. <laughs> um, he ended up getting arrested later on. Uh, after escaping with this boy from the boys home in Omaha. Um, they ended up in Illinois. They robbed a store in Peoria. 
Uh, and then that's when he was sent to the Indiana boys home. And this, this is bad place was awful. Uh, <laughs> the last podcast on the left episode goes, I think it was the second one goes really deep into this. Um, he pretty, he was raped repeatedly here. I mean, just every form of torture that you can think of that him and other young boys went through, they went through. Um, and he basically turned around and became just as physically violent. Uh, he was a pretty tiny guy. I mean, I think that they've said he was anywhere between, we'll say five, four for sake of argument. Cause I think some list him at five, two, some list him at five, six. If we say five, four, that's still pretty tiny. I'm five, two. So for a guy, five, four is pretty short. And, uh, he was even, a little dude and he just got picked on. And I think, and then he flipped it around himself and he started raping and abusing and, you know, using it as almost like a self-defense technique to keep people away from him, you know, let me turn around and do the same thing that other people did to me. Almost sort of like what happened to Carl Panzeram. I mean, when we delved deep into how horribly abused Carl Panzeram was, he turned around and did the exact same thing. It wasn't that he was gay. It's just that sodomy was his way of making someone feel weaker under him. So if somebody's going to make me feel that way, I'm going to turn around and do the exact same thing to him. And Mansa did the exact same thing. And even more so, he wasn't as big and, and bulky and menacing as Panzeram was. He was a little guy. So he had to really use that to his advantage to get people to get off of him and get away from him. Well, most Um, of the time, being a smaller stature, rape isn't usually not every time, but most of the time, rape isn't actually about sex. Right. It's about power. Exactly. So it's like... Like I said, in Pan's Ranch. And you don't here, have to be gay. Like... Had nothing to do with that. Yeah. You could you power. could be very straight if you're a man and rape a man just to show that you're in control. It, it really has... It's kind of like when a dog pees on a tree... You're kind of claiming territory is what it's about. It's not about, well, I'm gay. It's kind of like last house, last house, what? Last podcast on the left said it, a hole was a hole to him. He didn't give a fuck. He was just like, I'm fucking Charles Manson and you're going to listen to what I say. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's the ultimate scare technique. It's the ultimate way to make you feel weaker, uh, make someone or make someone feel weaker basically um so after he escaped in 1951 um he drove to california in a stolen car he was arrested in utah um actually let me see we were attempting to drive oh yeah they were attempting to drive to california where they were arrested in utah um they had robbed uh several gas stations along the way And then driving a stolen car across state lines actually ended up being a federal crime. And he was sent to Washington, D.C.'s National Training School for Boys. Um, He was actually deemed to be illiterate. He took an aptitude test when he was there and a case case worker, social worker, deemed him aggressively antisocial, which really is not surprising at all (laughs) considering what he went through no not really right no not (laughs) at all uh so he ended up being transferred to a minimum security institute 1951 uh his aunt visited him and she told administrators that she would let him stay if he was able to find work 
He was paroled in 1952, um, but was caught raping a boy at knife point and sent to Federal Reformatory in Petersburg, Virginia. Uh, he committed eight serious disciplinary offenses, three involving homosexual acts while he was incarcerated, and it was ultimately moved to a maximum security reformatory in Chillicothe, Ohio. Um, again, these things that were mentioned, homosexual acts, again, not anything having to do with homosexuality, rape was a form of power. Him being a little guy, he wasn't going to be intimidated anymore. If he knew that he was going to be able to use it as a source of intimidation, he was going to use it. Bottom line. Um, he remained at the maximum security reformatory um, until he was, or expected to remain there until he was 21 in 1955, but ended up being released in 1954 um, due to good behavior and was sent to live with his aunt and his uncle. Um, the following year, he married a woman named Rosalie Jean Willis. She was what a she talking about? waitress. <laughs> Willis. <clears throat> Sorry. What are you talking about, Rosie? Um, around October, three months after he and his pregnant wife Oh, that's right, because she, mm -hmm. he is the one that he, this was actually his first child. Um, he was arrested in a stolen car in L.A. Um, and then again, driving it across state lines, federal crime. Um, he was given five years probation after a psychiatric evaluation. When he failed to appear in court in L.A., he was arrested for charges, same charges in Florida. Um and his probation was revoked, and he was sentenced to three years at Terminal Island in San Pedro, California. While he was in prison, Rosalie gave birth to Charles Manson Jr. Uh, during the first year, um, she, he received visits from her and his mother. They were actually living together at the time in 1957. Um, and then ultimately those visits stopped. His mom said that she was now living with another man. Uh, so two weeks before a scheduled parole heal hearing, ugh, I cannot get that word out. Parole healing. Healing. <laughs> Definitely not a healing period. Um, and we're healing? Manson Heal? again tried to escape in a stealing car. Uh, he was given five years probation and then that parole was denied. Uh, Manson said that he felt more comfortable in prison. I mean, I think from the time, so if you go back even to the reform schools, uh, all he knew was incarceration. That's all he knew. And I think that he grew to like prison because at least in prison, there's some type of structure. You know, you get up at the same time every day. You eat at the same time every day. You shit at the same time every day. You do everything at the same time and then that's it. So he didn't know how to live any other life except be a prisoner or a crook. He knew no way to legitimately live. And... Two, if you look at the years of abuse and neglect that he received on top of having an IQ that deemed him completely illiterate, psychiatric evaluations deemed him aggressive and antisocial, he was mentally incompetent and never had any type of social structure, emotional structure, anything. So he just grew into believing the craziness that his life was surrounded with. He knew no other way. Well, when you're, <clears throat> pardon me, when you're in something for so long and when you say something for so long, you literally start, you will legit start to believe it because you've just heard it so many times that you just start to, 
your brain kind of just clouds the actual truth and you just start to believe it. Oh, yeah. That's why a lot of times you believe your own bullshit. Right. Which is actually a good thing to do when you're trying to, you know, make yourself feel better about a situation that's shitty, like a breakup per se. And you're like, I'm going to be okay. Like, as long as you keep repeating that to yourself, like every single day, I'm going to be okay. Your brain will finally start to be like, you know what? Yeah, I am going to be okay. But sometimes you have to keep repeating it for your brain to get it. Unfortunately, there's a bad side to that where you can start to listen to shit bullshit and your own bullshit. You say it over and over and over, your brain will start to believe it too. So there's a good side and a bad side to that. Oh, it was on the bad side. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Because you don't, especially like you said, you, you're you, when you don't come to terms with what's true and what's not. So that's ultimately what you're going to give in to. And obviously, if you've not been raised in a right or wrong kind of way. Oh, yeah. There's no right. There's no wrong. It's just all the same. Definitely was not. Yeah. At all. Um. So he ended up, after receiving five years of parole, uh, the same year that him and Rosalie were divorced in 1958, uh, he was pimping a 16-year-old girl who had very wealthy parents that he was getting money from. Um, but then in 1959, pled guilty to forging a check uh, that he received stolen in the mail. Um, the charge ended up being dropped, but he received a 10-year suspended, suspended sentence uh, after a woman who was arrested for prostitution said that she was deeply in love with Manson and that she would marry him if he was freed. Um, but the woman did marry him, possibly, so she did not have to testify against him. So she was another prostitute that he was pimping. Um, he took this woman and another woman to New Mexico for prostitution, which was in violation. Um, he liked to jump state lines with a lot of things. He really likes to go a lot of I was going to say, like, this gets was, around. Bundy was a lot like this. Like, let's just, just jump across state lines everywhere. Like, I barely can get out of Ohio and get to Kentucky, much less literally jumping all Times over Times were so different back then, <laughs> you gotta remember. Like, True. stuff like this was so much easier to do True. now than what, it, than what it would be. So, um, during all of this time, he was still on probation. So, when he violated his probation, a bench warrant was issued, and then he was indicted uh, in 1960 for the prostitution across state lines act uh one of the women was arrested and then manson was later arrested with her in texas returned back to la uh there was another check cashing charge that he had to serve another 10-year sentence for um he only spent a year in prison was transferred to la county jail and then a penitentiary in the state of washington um, he actually ended up taking guitar lessons uh, while he was in prison during that time. Um, and his mother moved closer to him um, and worked nearby as a waitress. So uh, it's funny how in some people's eyes, him and his mother had this like really contentious relationship. But then like the more of a career criminal he became, the closer they became in this weird way. Like she never left. Like, oh God, she never yes. left his side. Like she never did. She never left his side for some reason. Um, the one uh, dropped, right? The one act, uh, the one charge was dropped. Um, 
And then, oh, except for the check cashing charge. Uh, Can't drop that. Yeah. So, like, the <laughs> prostitution thing, like, we'll drop that. But the check cashing charge, like, oh, we got to... We got to keep that going. Um, so the one prostitute that he married, if that she doesn't sum up the ultimately judgment system or the yeah the judiciary system. system. Thank you. You're fine. So I'm like the Leona ended up uh, divorcing him, and um, poor guy, he can't keep it. He can't keep a woman. A marriage at all. Uh, well, she allegedly had a son by him. This all comes into play later on. There ended up being DNA tests done, and this was not his kid. Uh, she named him Charles Luther. Um, and then there was this weird urban legend that went around that uh, this just kind of ties into this time. It wasn't true at all because he was in prison. But there was this weird <laughs> urban legend that went around that he uh, tried to audition for the monkeys and was unsuccessful. Hey, hey, the monkeys. Obviously, hey, that didn't know- happen. Hey, you never know. He could have. He could have cloned no. himself and done it in while in 1965. Yeah, cloning was a thing. I believe anything. At Orphan this point. Black. I would believe Charles anything Manson at this time. style. I believe it. Just time traveled in 2018 back to 1965 and he did. cloned several of them running around and oh my god, all the Mansons. Knows who. Oh. That just made me think about a Simpsons episode, and I was like, that turned out really bad. Um, that would have turned out really bad if we had a bunch like of fucking that. Mansons running around. It would just turn out, both scenarios turned out really, really, really bad. So in 66, Manson was sent for a second time to Terminal Island, and by 67, he had pretty much spent half of his entire life in prisons and institutions. He was 32 by then. So 16 years of his life. That's why I said he was more comfortable in prisons than he was in anything. Um, they ultimately became his home. Um, if it's all you know, and it's the only place you feel comfortable, and it's the only place that you've actually felt like you've had a home, then, you know. And it's just it. like he even said in an interview when they were like, what would you do if you got out? And he's like, what, I would go out on the front lawn and sit. Because I think he even said it in his words. It was like, where would I go? He didn't have anything outside of that, really. So he's like, where would I go? Right. Yeah. I mean, because he didn't have any, he did not have anywhere else to go. Like I said, he was just a, he was either a criminal or he was in prison. Those were the only structures that he knew. And I think combined with him not having any, I don't really think he was mentally ill. I just think that a lack of social structure just led to him not being able to function in society. Like he didn't know how to, he had no normal life. He had no normal upbringing. It was either sometimes with moms, sometimes in a group home, sometimes with an aunt and uncle, sometimes with moms, sometimes with a neighbor, sometimes with he an had aunt no uncle, home. sometimes in a group home. There was never a home. There was never anywhere. There was either running away, there was the you know, he got older then he ran away. So then how do you how do you support yourself running away? You rob people, you burglarize homes, you and his mom got arrested for grand larceny, burglary, you know, he had a his biological father to all accounts was a con artist and lied to people and burglarized people. So, you know, it just and back at the time when he grew up in the 30s up into the 60s when he was in his 30s, there really wasn't any jobs for his for the type of, of where he was living at the time except to be like a day laborer unless you were educated which obviously he wasn't and didn't have the opportunity to be so 
you just became a criminal. I mean, that was it. That was it's all he knew what happened. It's really all he knew. That was all he knew to happen. So, um, when he was, when uh, he was a young warthog, ultimately, <laughs> no, <laughs> he was not at all. <laughs> I don't know. He was an asshole. No way you said it. I was like, when he was a young warthog. (laughs) He wasn't an asshole. No, no. When he could have he could have been an asshole. I mean, I don't know him personally, but you didn't know him personally. Man, we I called him on the daily. Did not best friends. So this is when the um kind of the start to the murders happened. Uh, the year like we said, 1969 was kind of supposed to be the peace, love, hippie year, and this is when the murders happened. Um, the Manson family came together with, uh, him moving to California and kind of running into these group of young women. Uh, they ended up being one, it was sort of a mix between men and women, but mostly women. And they were kind of deemed the Manson family. Um, and then he pretty much just kind of met them wherever, either on the beach either in like Haight-Ashbury district where most of the hippies hung out. Um, and he sort of gave off this vibe of kind of being a guru, sort of being a uh, prophet in a way where he would just preach these um, idealisms of uh, race and war and peace and God and the devil and everything else. And really a lot of it was just drug fueled. You know, he knew he was a con artist. He learned a lot of that in prison and just throughout his daily life. And you take these really impressionable young kids. I mean, if you look at kind of who was the younger women that kind of made up the Manson family, the lives that, you know, these young girls led, they were all right around like, uh, college age. And some of them came from affluent families. Some of them, you know, most of them actually did come through affluent families and they just really did not want to deal with day-to-day life anymore. They, uh, wanted to be free of the social norms. And they thought by following somebody like Manson, that that would lead them to this freedom. Um, and really it just led them to their downfall. And, a lot of it's really sad in the way because especially with these young women, they were very impressionable. Um, and when you're young at that age and you're brought up believing one thing, but then you're wanting to change and you think you're doing it something for the better. And you're really believing what this person's saying. Uh, and like we said too, psychedelics had a lot to do with this. A lot came under the influence of drugs. You know, when they ended up, at the spawn ranch and they would have these like sessions, just these huge drug fueled sessions with these very psychedelic drugs that really, if you get into a lot of the components of like acid and what it does to your brain, uh, neurologically. And when you're in these trips and lots of times Manson wouldn't be on any drugs, actually, that was the most fucked up thing is that he would make sure that everybody else was, he was totally sober and then he would just feed their heads with all this other crazy shit. And, uh, if you're already on drugs, you're going to believe it. Uh, if you're weak minded in certain ways, like I know Lynette from, uh, who went by squeaky from she, she was crazy. <laughs> she was, 
Now she, she was opposite from some of the other girls. She didn't really come from a very affluent family. She was just kind of a homeless hippie, just kind of wandering around that ended up on the ranch. And, uh, she just really wanted to go out of her way of impressing Manson. And a lot of that had to do with her just, I think she was just as crazy as he was. And I think that because she went on to do a, <laughs> I think she was, she tried, uh, she tried to assassinate president Ford later on. And yeah, she actually wasn't even involved with any of the other, with any of the actual murders, but, uh, she stayed a devout follower of him for many, 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 many years. And I think a lot of that just had to do with her own, she was a mental, with her own mental Ill, illness herself. But yeah, that, that was really the sad part of it is a lot of these, these women that were involved ended up in Tex Watson, man that ended up being involved with these murders were just really young, impressionable kids who wanted to follow a lifestyle of peace and love and freedom and they really believed in the original message that Manson was giving them, even though to him, he's like, eh, I wasn't telling them anything any different than anybody wanted to hear. And he just passed it all off when to them, they're like, you know, we looked up to this guy. You know, we did everything he told us to do. Um, Which is really funny because he did actually say, he said that... um he never made them do anything. He never forced them to do anything. He just told them. I think he said he suggested things or he was just like, cause he completely like took himself out of the picture. He was like, Oh, I never did any of that. And then when he was asked about how he felt about women, he was like, as long as they do what they're told. And I'm like, you contradicted yourself, sir. <laughs> yeah, he had a really, really warped sense of, he just had a very warped sense of the word, world, period. I mean, what, you know, he had this, this sort of dueling factor of this helter-skelter race war thing that started and to kill the pigs and uh, against the government and the police and, and all this other stuff, uh, there were kind of contradicting factors to that too. Like some say that that was ultimately, uh, Manson's plan. Some others say that that more so had to do with, uh, I think one of the, it was either Leslie Van Houten, Leslie Van Houten or Patricia Krenwinkel. Like, I think it was, that's who Manson tried to blame it on. Mm-hmm. He tried to blame it on one of the other women to say that it was actually more so their fault. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it wasn't. It was uh, Susan Atkins. That's who Manson blamed it on. He blamed it on Susan Atkins. But uh, Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian, Patricia Krenwinkle, uh, Lynette Frome, Leslie Van Houten, uh, Charles Tex Watson, uh, Squeaky Frome was the name that Lynette went by. All of these people were involved with the Manson family. Um, but what culminated originally was the murder of a man, uh, named Gary Hinman. So, um, Gary Hinman was, well, let me see. He was actually a music teacher, I believe. And I think he was a, Sorry, I have no 
idea why my notes brought me to this. It did not bring me to the right page. To <laughs> I'm sorry. My notes have took me completely off. Yeah, this off is like kilter. way off. I'm like. Are you having a little helter skelter of your own? Yeah. This is not at all what I wanted. Sorry, guys. Um, so Gary Hinman, um, from what I can go on by memory, he was a uh, music teacher that um, his was the original murder that happened, uh, I think, in San Francisco. Um, Okay, that was the one that happened in 1967. And uh, that was the first murder by the family with um, Susan Atkins. And after that is when, um, no, wait, I'm sorry. So there were murders in, there were actually crimes in 1967 that happened. Um, so the one for Hinman's, um Manson was under the impression that he had considerable stocks and bonds and um, believing that he was extremely wealthy, he did send Bobby, Mary, and Susan to his home to convince him to join the family and turn over his assets. Uh, the three individuals held, the, un, held him yeah, I'm so sorry. hostage for two days. I don't know why. That during happened. It's okay. I got, I got you. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a music teacher. I'm so sorry. Um, no, he was. Know. He was. He was a music teacher. Um, and he okay, did befriend so, some of the members, allowing them to occasionally where this originally stay came home. from. So he was a music teacher, and he had a guitar. And mm -hmm. I know that him. Okay, sorry, this is starting to come back to memory for me. So that Manson had wanted to buy a guitar from him because Manson really did actually want to get into the music business, and that was part of what got the Manson family together because Spawn Ranch was on an old movie studio. They were wanting to record music there. And with Gary being a former music teacher and them, uh, not only had they bought and sold drugs between each other, but there was also a guitar that Manson had gotten from him. But Manson had seen a safe in his place and thought he had a lot of money. So ultimately they were just going to rob him. And I think that the plan got changed to murder him. Which, to be honest with you, this whole thing, I think, was because he didn't get a record deal. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you... What... The um, the biggest murders that happened after Hinman in 1969 in July of that year... Because they knew him in 60... So they started actually committing crimes in 67. They knew, they knew Hinman in 68. And then they murdered him... Uh, July of 69 prior to the Sharon Tate murders in mm -hmm. August of that same year. Cause they hadn't tied these then together yet. Right. Yeah. They weren't able to tie any of the members together yet with any of the murders. Um, so the reason why there will, the only thing that really tied in the Sharon Tate murders was the address 10050 Cielo Drive in LA was the fact that that originally was the home of um, a guy named Terry Melcher. And kind of a weird way to tie in Cincinnati again. Terry Melcher's mother 
was the very famous singer actress Doris Day, who just died recently. Um, Doris Day being from Cincinnati. And uh, Terry Melcher was a very famous music producer. And uh, he lived in that home and he recorded music with Dennis Wilson. Dennis Wilson being of the famous Wilson family from the Beach Boys with his brothers, Brian and Carl Wilson, anybody that's a Beach Boys fan. So um, Dennis, you know, being into drugs and all that kind of stuff and women and chicks, you know, of course, it's the 60s. So that's how he he actually didn't meet Manson originally. He met some of the women from Manson's group and would bring them back to party with him. Then Manson came along. Manson started partying with them, ended up at Terry Melcher's house, partying some more. Uh, and they just kind of got sick of it because it was all on their dime. I mean, like, literally everything if they had to go to the doctor they it was paid for food was paid for you know everything and they were just pretty much trashing trashing terry melcher's place and they were recording music with him um you know dennis was kind of feeding them this whole like oh yeah you guys sound great you know because the whole time manson was writing music um if i can give charles manson one little plus I personally think he was a really great musician. He had a really great voice. Uh, a lot of his music is available on YouTube. Um, it's out there. One of my favorite songs by him was Look At Your Game Girl. I love it. Uh, and that song, actually, the melody got taken, but lyrics changed to a Beach Boys song. So uh, there's actually been some pretty... The Beach Boys did record a couple of his songs, just changed the lyrics, re-released them under different names. Uh, Guns N' Roses recorded a Charles Manson song. Um, so there's been some pretty prominent artists that actually have recorded some of his music. And then again, like I said, his music itself was recorded. And it is out there. You can find it. Um, so did um, tell him that his music was great. Uh, Terry Melcher did not necessarily feel the same way. Um, and then pretty much just kind of grew tired, you know, like I said, of dealing with him and having them around. Um, so he just never got back to him and just pretty much dropped him, never talked to him again. Um, and I think that when Manson found out that there was still music that they were going to record without him, it really pissed him off. He didn't appreciate it at all. Um, I ended up finding out years later through a story from one of the Beach Boys that uh, it was almost as it was almost as if like Terry Melcher's Terry Melcher and his mom had like this sixth sense about what was going to happen because it was in it was within like months that his mom was like, I'm going to buy you a house. I want you to move out of that house because he had mentioned to her about Manson and just about being creeped out by him, not feeling comfortable around him, trashing the house, the people he was around. And his mom said, you know, I will buy you a house. You need to move out of that house. So he moved out and he left. And Manson didn't know at the time. And he ended up selling the house to Roman Polanski. Uh, everybody knows who he is. Very prominent director, Rosemary's Baby, whatnot. And at the time was married to Sharon Tate. Uh, who herself was in Valley of the Dolls, several other, several other movies, and she was uh, nine months pregnant at the time. Um, he was, Roman Polanski was shooting a movie, so she was actually there with friends during the time of the murders. Um, and again, like we said, Manson had no idea. So there was really no tie to uh, them, except that 
it was the same home that Terry Melcher was living in at the time. It was literally just a circumstance in the yeah. wrong place at the wrong time. That's exactly what happened. Um, so it happened, uh, like we mentioned, August, between August, was well, the night of August 8th and August 9th of 1969. Um, the people involved were actually Susan Atkins, Patricia Kernwinkle, Linda, and Linda Kasabian, and Tex Watson. Um, again, like we said, Manson was not there. He was not involved. Uh, but they were ordered to go to the house, destroy the house, basically to make an example uh, and kind of lead to this race war thing. Um, and the victims involved, like we mentioned again, were Sharon Tate, uh, her friends Jay Sebring, who was uh, actually a very prominent hairstylist at the time, uh, Abigail Folger, who was the heir to Folger's Coffee, uh, Wolchek Ferowski, who was a friend of hers at the time, and um, a very young man who actually just happened to be, this was another thing that was terrible, was Stephen Parent, who was uh, kind of, what was he basically like, the housekeeper, groundskeeper? He lived on the grounds and was just kind of there to, you know, check the gate sort of thing. Um, he was the one that was killed in the car, I think, yeah, as they were driving up. So to the, entr- to the entrance gate. Um, so again, like we said, we're not going to go into how brutal the murders are. I mean, you know, you can see the crime photos out there. Um, if you guys remember listening to the episode that we did previously about the horror movies that we hated, and one of the ones that was on my list was uh, about this, the one that I mentioned to you that... Um, Oh my God, I hate that I'm going to mess this up. What was the name of that movie? I can't, who was in Lizzie McGuire? I got it. You keep going. What was her name? Hilary Duff. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the one that Hilary Duff was in that I thought was absolutely horrific because first of all, it was extremely historically inaccurate because Manson was never there. The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Yeah, the movie's terrible. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry to her, but the movie's awful and- it got a 2.9. I just thought it was very, it was exploitive. You know, Sharon Tate's sister is still alive. And Deborah, Deborah has been the biggest champion in making sure that a lot of the people that were involved in the murders, including Manson himself, was kept behind bars. She was there at every parole hearing, still is. You know, and this was her sister, for God's sake. And that movie was just so exploitive. It didn't tell you anything new to the story that anybody doesn't even know. And I stopped the movie halfway through because I just did not want to see. And I didn't need to see played out on screen how absolutely brutal these murders were. I'd seen it in enough documentaries. I personally myself have also seen the crime scene photos. And it's pretty horrific. Like I said, just... So many Very people. innocent people that were there that were involved in something that was literally like just wrong place, wrong time. So many people hear some of the reviews on it was seeming pile of crap. A ten cent fictionalized version of the actual murders. It turned into a low rent slasher film. Extremely distasteful, also badly made. How dare you use a person that was brutally murdered to make cash? Un- yeah, that's why I said, yeah, the movie was very exploitive. It's basically, I, I feel like it's, it just, like that's I said, I stopped, what everybody else I stopped halfway at the halfway point of the, at the movie because I'm like, 
nothing's going to be any different about this movie. They were murdered. Like, we know how they were murdered. So why do I need to watch this play out? And then, like I said, too, they show Manson being there at the time, and he wasn't. He wasn't there. He wasn't involved, you know, directly. He wasn't himself involved directly with the murders. Um, And then, real quickly, like, where the helter-skelter thing comes into play. So uh, Helter Skelter is the name of a Beatles song. Um, and it is from their, it's from the White Album. And the way that it was interpreted by Manson after he just became obsessed with the song. Um, and not only that, he made several other references to other Beatles songs. Uh, Yellow Submarine. Um, and several others that he felt like were preparing the family for an impending apocalypse. Um, Manson used to liken himself to Jesus Christ. I mean, when he would give these big, uh, almost sermons, when I would say that, you know, when I mentioned about other members being under the influence of acid, um, he would say that he was reincarnated from original Christians um, before the Romans were established, that he saw himself uh, as Christ, that his name uh, implied that he was the son of man, um, and that he would bring the final judgment against the world, and, and just all of this other shit. And like I said, it was just, it was the purest form of manipulation. All of these other new age groups were happening around the time of the hippie movement and these kids would believe anything especially under the influence of hallucinogenics that completely fuck with your neurological system to begin with and these were very impressionable kids so you start playing this type of music you start seeing the type of imagery he put in their heads on top of him being incredibly racist and saying that murders um, against white people that could be tied back to black people would lead to a retaliation and ultimately a race war that he was wanting to start. And um, that was supposed to be that the Tate, the Sharon Tate murders were supposed to set the example for that. Um, Wasn't Tarzan son of man? Son of man. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm sorry. I was referencing the song when they said, like, Son of Man. From the cartoon. From the cartoon, yes. Didn't catch that at all. So <laughs> when did the cartoon come out? That's probably the last time I saw it. 90. Yep. Five, exactly. maybe? 94. Why I had no. You see why I was sitting here like crickets. You're like. <laughs> When did that movie come out? 20 years ago? That was probably the last time I saw it. Not that it wasn't a good movie. I just... It was one of my favorites. That's why I remembered. I was like, son of man. It's okay. Son of man. I was like, I have no... I was like, oh, right. This is this is going to show the true, the true age gap in our listeners. Because you're going to have like some of them be like, oh my god, yes. And then have the other ones like you like, what? <laughs> the fuck is that? Then again, there have been a lot of Tarzan. What do you mean? There's only been like 17. So like some people are going to have to forgive me. Between let's see TV shows and movies and cartoons. Let's be real though guys. The only Tarzan Tarzan that actually matters. The only one that actually matters. The Disney one. God why did we get off on Tarzan? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm like trying to get through this as fast as possible because I want to get through these fucking horrible murders. Um, so the LaBianca killings happened uh, not long after that. And again, these no other tie purely except to just kind of give more into the whole fucking race war thing. Um, and again, not long after, all within the same night as the... Uh, well, let me see. The Tate murders happen August 8th through the 9th. And then the LaBianca murders happened August 10th. So, like, the I was going to say day. it was the very next day. Literally the very next day. They were not tied. They, they um, had claimed it was a copycat. They hadn't even tied them together yet. Oh, that's, like, literally none of these they hadn't tied together Right, yet. no. Because like, they, they claimed it was, like, a copycat. That someone had heard, apparently, what happened to... In the, t- in the Tate murders, and then they were like, I guess they claimed they copycatted it, but then they figured out later, of course, it was the same. So there were several different stories uh, that led into ultimately why they picked this house. Um, Lino LaBianca and his wife, Rosemary, um, were pretty prominent in the neighborhood. He owned a supermarket. She owned a dress shop. And, um, they, it was them and did they have three kids or two kids. I was trying to remember how many, how many kids they had. I want to say it's two. Okay. Um, so according to it, Tex Watson and Manson both have different accounts of what happened. Like as far as how the house got picked, who picked the house, what have you. Um, and they were kind of. They really didn't like the way the last murder went. They were kind of like upset. They didn't think that it was really going to show what they were trying to lead into this whole race war thing. Um, The back door of the house was unlocked, so it was really easy to get in. Um, And then again, pretty much same MO uh, in both murders. There were stabbings involved. And uh, Rosemary and uh, Lino were both stabbed to death. Um, And, oh, you know what? I actually thought their kids were murdered. No, their kids weren't murdered. And actually, I think I lied. I think there were three. There were three kids. I think there were three. Yeah, Yeah. they did have three kids because the kids... They got out. Yeah, the kids did not... I Yeah, okay. Because I was actually... And I apologize. I was thinking of... uh, back to one of the BTK murders because I was like the way they were tied up and whatnot and there being a family involved. So, uh, yeah, they were tied up and stabbed, but the kids were not, the kids were not murdered. The kids actually, which is horrible enough, discovered their parents. Um, yeah. And these were young kids. Um, so again, all of this, uh, having to do with this race war, which to, Manson, uh, you know, he said that he fueled some of it. It's it's so, when you go into the mind of him and what he would say, there was always conflicting views. You know, he said he never wanted to start a race war. Other times he said he did. Uh, he said a lot of it had to do more so with just money. Um, originally, I... I personally think that a lot of that the original murders that happened at Cielo Drive with the Sharon Tate murders had more so to do with the Terry Melcher 
uh, Dennis Wilson Beach Boy thing. And then I think that going there, uh, I don't, but I don't think that that's what he didn't want the family to know that. He didn't want the family to know, like, no, the reason why we're murdering them is because we're pissed that we didn't get a record deal and that we're not going to be uh, recording artists and make all this money. And then I think it's so the narrative changed into let's turn it into this big race war and make an example. And then I think that when this bloodlust sort of happened after the first murder, they were like, let's just keep murdering. I mean, for it to happen the very next day and to be that random. And again, they didn't, like you, like Casper mentioned, there was no connection to either one until much later, which they wanted. They didn't want anybody. They wanted to give the impression that this was done by Black people, by the Black Panthers, you know, just Black people in general, um, so they didn't want any of them to be connected in any way, uh, because they wanted to give the idea that these were just random black people that were going around murdering people to start this big race war and somehow in some way they were going to benefit from it, but you never, okay. I mean, that, that ultimately never happened because, you know, nothing Nothing happened after that. I mean, they pretty much went back to Spawn Ranch. Um, you know, again, like we mentioned, was just this old, uh, it was used as a movie set and it was owned by an older gentleman, uh, George Spawn, who was pretty much blind, deaf. Like he had no idea what was going on uh, at the time on the ranch. He just kind of was this old guy and, there were a few. <laughs> he was just kind of this old guy. He just well, I'm sorry. I'd like take. <laughs> it was so funny. I, my throat was dry, and like right when I took a chance to swallow, it's like, oh, Casper's like, I'm not gonna let you finish your sentence. That was <laughs> funny to me, though. I just I knew you weren't done, but we were, were okay. like, he was just kind of this old guy, and he was. I'm not trying to make him like dismissive, but he really didn't have a lot of power. He there really wasn't a lot for him to do, and like I said, he was partially blind. He was partially deaf, and. uh it really didn't become much of a nuisance to him until things just obviously started getting really out of hand. Uh, and there, well, there was, cause there was actually another murder that happened too with one of the members of the family um, that was wanting to turn against Manson. Um, I think it was that Bugliosi guy. Uh, and sorry. <laughs> and uh, he, was wanting to actually work with George Spawn to get them off the ranch. And they, yeah, because uh, Charles didn't murder him. There was a situation that happened where uh, he cut off his ear and then just in a way to kind of intimidate him. And then the other members of the family killed him. Uh and that was because they deemed him to be a traitor, basically, against them. Um, because everything, I mean, especially after the murders, things just kind of started falling apart. Nobody was certain, except for, like, the real devout ones. People just were not holding on to Charlie's story anymore because shit just wasn't happening. I mean, there was, you know, a couple of years going by that just absolutely nothing was happening. So people just weren't buying into it anymore. 
Um, so by this time, Susan Atkins was arrested uh, for the murder of Gary Hinman. And she had told one of her cellmates about the uh, Tate LaBianca murders. Um, so really at this point, it was almost as if nobody would, nobody would have even known if she hadn't said anything. She was almost bragging about it in a way, because by this time they would have completely got, I mean, they pretty much would have completely gotten away, gotten away with it. Um, you had to blabbermouth over there. Let me tell you what happened. Yeah. You, you see, what happened was... Well, I think, like I said, they didn't... Uh, they Things weren't going along the way they wanted them to happen. So when, you know, this whole uh, uh, race war and thing that happened, they just... They weren't happy with it. Um, with Well, they weren't happy with the ultimate resort, results that they thought they were going to get. Um, oh, I am so sorry. That family member uh, that I mentioned, he was not murdered. He was ultimately the one that was given the death sentence for the Gary Hinman murders. Um, they That was the one that they tied up that Charles was there. He cut off his ear, left, and then the rest of the family murdered him because they were going to rob him. Um, and then that was supposed to be kind of the start to the race war thing. Um, so after she, so this was in late of 60, in late 1969, um, Spawn Ranch was raided due to connection with auto thefts, uh, amongst several other things, because by, by the time after the murders had happened and nothing had happened with the race war, everybody just pretty much went back to what they were doing as far as like the women were prostituting, they were robbing stores, and they were stealing a lot of cars. So uh, once the cops made the connection with the ranch, um, the followers left, went to a, another nearby ranch. That ranch ended up being raided in October of 1969, um, and uh, everybody at the time was arrested. That's when Susan Atkins, while she was incarcerated, said to one of her cellmates that she was involved with the Tate LaBianca murders. Um, she agreed to testify uh, in exchange for being dropped from the death penalty, and her uh, testimony against the grand jury is ultimately what led to everybody's convictions because she was the one that pretty much spilled the beans and said exactly what happened, exactly everybody that was involved. Um, and that was Leslie Van Houten, Patricia Krenwinkel, Linda Kasabian, and uh, Tex, well, Charles Tex Watson. Um, and I believe he got, he actually got that nickname from George Spawn, not from Charles Manson, um, because he had originally worked on the ranch just as like a ranch hand and then got involved with the family, uh, with Charles after that. Uh, so that's what led to the trial. Everybody ultimately was found guilty. Um, and again, even though 
Manson never committed any of the murders. He was convicted of the murders. Um, the prosecutor, uh, Vincent, oh, I screw up his last name because it is Bugliosi. That's it. Vincent Bugliosi. He, you know, he was a really, he really did a great job during the trial with the evidence, with the testimony, but he really painted this picture of Charles Manson just being this criminal mastermind. And I completely disagree. And I know that was something me and Casper talked about. Like, he just, he wasn't this cold, calculated guy. He wasn't like... He's not Dahmer. He's not Bundy. He was not Bundy. He was not Dahmer. He did not have... You know, the, these guys had a MO. They had certain people that they targeted. They had a way that they targeted them. They had a reasoning like... Manson just didn't have a reason for anything that he did except to benefit him. That was it. What can I get out of it? And I think by the time he got out of prison when he did in the, in 69 and ended up in California. And like we said, you're in the flower child movement. You're feeding these young girls drugs. They're having sex with you. They're believing everything you're saying. They're going out and having sex with other people. They're robbing for you. What's the next thing? Oh, will you kill for me? Let's see if you'll kill for me. I just, it just was the ultimate manipulation by a madman. I mean, it had nothing more to do with somebody just saying like, you know, they'll, they'll do everything else for me. Let me see if they'll kill for me too. And that's exactly what they did. And the killings were not calculated in any way. They weren't planned. They weren't people that were known. You know, the Tate murders happened because of the home. It was literally wrong place, wrong time. And the LaBianca murders were just kind of the same way. It was like, oh, their back door is open. Uh, somebody's home. Let's go in and kill them too. And just use them as an example to continue on with this quote unquote stupid race war thing that he just fucking made up to get them to do whatever he wanted them to do. He was just a master manipulator. I mean, master, master. And the Manson family was essentially a cult. I mean, if you look at it, it's just like, it, it didn't, you know, last for years and years and years, you know, like Waco or Scientology. And it has, <laughs> which is a fucking cult. I don't care how you look at it, but, um, he was actually interested in Scientology. Oh, he read about everything. Oh yeah, he, he read about he read about Christianity when he was in prison. He read about Scientology when he was in prison. Um, he read about Buddhism while he was in prison. He studied a lot uh, because Scientology deals with uh, oh, what was the uh, hypnosis. Mm-hmm. It deals with a lot of mind control techniques. I mean, that's, that's, if you look, if you, if anybody knows anything about Scientology, and especially when they do these auditing systems, a lot of it is mind control. It's literally like repeating the same thing to you over and over again, or saying thing, or not even so much. What they do is essentially they're repeating the same phrase to you over and over again, but they're saying it in different ways. I mean, that right there is going to drive you fucking crazy. I mean, that's like you're sitting in a room long enough with a person and they're just sitting there doing that to you for hours and hours and hours. Shut like, up. It's going to fuck with your head. And uh, 
yeah, so every technique that Charles Manson learned in prison to be able to be a con man and a master manipulator, all that charisma, everything that he had, he used that to his advantage. And that's exactly what happened. He was not some cold, calculated, sadistic, psychopathic murderer. He just wasn't. And these kids weren't either. They really weren't. They were manipulated. They were deceived. They were on drugs. And I'm not trying to make excuses. What they did was absolutely horrible. And these were done to very innocent people. And, and I, and my condolences to their families. It's absolutely awful. I mean, that Leno and Rosemary, their children had to find them murdered. Uh, you know, Abigail Folger and, uh, Wojtek Frakowski, uh, they were all in their 30s, their 20s. Steve Parent was only 18 years old when he was killed. Sharon Tate, like I said, was nine months pregnant. These were all very, Jay Sebring was only 35. These were all very young people that were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it was horrible what happened to them. But these people, the kids that were involved with these murders were completely manipulated and it's awful. And, you know, it's terrible that some of them, the ones that have not already died in prison, have been up for parole in recent years and have been denied every single time, even though I know they're more than reformed and more than uh, sorry for what they did. It's just, it still lives on in people's heads and people are still very affected by it. And, uh, you know, again, like I said, uh, Deborah Tate, Sharon Tate's sister, is at every single parole hearing she came to every single one of charles manson's parole hearings because ultimately when they were convicted all of them were sentenced to death well except susan atkins because she was the one she gave the plea deal to after she uh confessed to the cellmate and she gave a plea deal to give it all up and uh all the rest of them were convicted to death and um you know again they the spectacle that happened and anybody that's ever seen any of the documentaries the spectacle of what happened in, in the in the courtroom was just, oh my God, Charlie had all these crazy outbursts. The girls would come in matching outfits. They would sing. When Charlie shaved off his head, all the girls shaved their heads. When Charlie put the X on his forehead, they carved X's in their foreheads, ultimately turned into a swastika when he was in prison later on. But I don't even think he was anti-Semitic. I think that was just all the more to just drive into this craziness and it's funny how he used to say that like well you know the media you guys did this you know you made your children crazy and then they came to me as their savior and look what I did to them and it's just like so he just he never he never stopped trying to manipulate people but he thought like well I didn't manipulate well like I didn't make them do anything they didn't already want to do and mm -hmm. it's like sure but you but you kind of did. You know, I, I believe that people of a certain mind can, of a certain weak mind, can be manipulated. I'm, I am the first to believe that it can very well happen. I don't think it's an excuse for actions like this. But I do believe that you need to take those type of circumstances into consideration. I think more so now when you look at the circumstances of releasing them for parole. I mean, because any of the ones that are still alive are much older now. And I don't know. 
I hate to even get into that because that's a tough one because, yeah. you know, they're not my family. My family wasn't affected by it. And would I say the same thing if my family were the ones that murdered? I don't know. Probably not. I'd probably still want to see them in prison. I wouldn't care how old they were. I wouldn't care if they were in their 60s and 70s and reformed by now. I'm like, I don't think you've done your time. And <laughs> right. if your time is life, then you need to spend the rest of your life in prison. So I don't know. I mean, it kind of sucks. I feel like it sucks either way. Right. I feel like these were young kids that never got a chance that were manipulated by a complete, just crazy person. And really, if things, if circumstances would have ended up differently, they would have chosen a different path in life. And they didn't. And it just, and the whole thing just sucks. The whole thing just sucks. <laughs> all the way around. Yeah. Cause, but. There's no like winning thing here. And you, you just lose all around. No, no. Everybody. Yeah. Literally everybody loses all the way around. Um, so after the Tate LaBianca trial ended, um, in 1971, like I said, they were all sentenced to death. Uh, the death penalty actually ended up being reversed in California. So the cases all were switched to life in prison since they did away with the death penalty in California at the time. Um, Susan Atkins was convicted of Gary Hinman's murder. I did want to mention that since that was kind of the start of all this, that was kind of the Gary Hinman. So to kind of give more of a breakdown, um, this book that I have kind of gives you like a sort of a table of contents of Manson crimes. Um, so August, so this all happened in 1969, August 4th of 1969, uh, Gary Hinman was murdered. Um, it was Bobby Buscelli. That's whose name I butchered before. I apologize. Who said was murdered and he was not. He murdered Gary Hinman along with Susan Atkins uh, and Mary Brunner. She was another member. Um, uh, Bobby ended up being arrested a few days later after that. So uh, August, the night of August 8th into August 9th was when the uh, Tate lot was when the Tate murders happened um, and Tex Watson, Susan Atkins again, Patricia Kernwinkle, and Linda Kasabian were all involved in that one. The very next day on the 10th was the LaBianca murders, again with Tex Watson, Patricia Kernwinkle, and Leslie Van Houten. Um, Susan Atkins was not there at the time. Um, and then there was another murder after that. This was the one that I was trying to mention before that I totally screwed up. This was August 17th, uh, which was seven days after the LaBianca murders happened. This was by, this was a guy that went by the name Shorty, uh, last name Shay. He was the one that was another hired hand on Spawn Ranch. This was the one that I was screwing up before. He was another hired <laughs> hand on Spawn Ranch that was hired by George Spawn that ultimately wanted the family out. Um, knew that heat was coming down with the cars and things being stolen, that the Spawn Ranch was ultimately going to end up getting raided and uh manson called for his murder um did assault him um some say manson was involved in his murder at the time manson said that he did assault him but that ultimately steve grogan and bruce davis were two other men that were involved um and his body because i know that his body and there were also rumors of other bodies between spawn ranch and the other adjacent ranch that was raided where they were ultimately found that uh there were a lot of i don't know if you've heard this either casper there was a lot of bodies actually buried out on that ranch that apparently like there were there 
that at one point there were like dozens of members of the Manson family. Like there were dozens of people Aren't living they? out at Spawn Ranch at one time. And if you like went against Charlie, either he killed you or one of the members killed you and they just buried you out on the ranch. But I think that there has been like ground penetrating sonar that's been done. I think that there's been bone fragments found, but I don't think there's ever actually been any bodies that have been found. Wasn't but still, there there's areas that, there that have not been searched yet. Um, they were responsible for up to 30-something Yeah, murders. So Could have been. Not, like, still, proven, but... And like I said, there's still areas of the ranch. Yeah. yeah. And those all were, or could have been, previous or possible members of the family. Again, like, they didn't agree with him, just had him killed. Um, and there's, like I said, there's still parts of the ranch that were never, uh, investigated. So who knows if there were or not, um, any other bodies that were found, um, while they were there. So, uh, yeah. So pretty much right after 1971, when they were convicted, um, Manson spent the rest of his life in prison at that time up until his death. Uh, during the time that he was in prison, um, like I said, he was interviewed by, uh, or the swastika on his forehead. And then he was interviewed by several different, uh, reporters, Charlie Rose, Geraldo Rivera, uh, I mean, you name it. Everybody interviewed him. Um, and I think a lot of it just more so had to do with the outbursts that he would have. The, you know, a, a lot of a, people have seen excerpts of it, videos of it on YouTube. They're, they're documentaries. They're all available anywhere you go. Uh, Hulu documentaries, or I'm sorry, not Hulu, uh, Amazon Prime documentaries will have footage of uh, interviews that he's given and he just has these, he plays to the crowd. He's, these outbursts, these antics that he had. So it's hard to take anything that he says seriously or anything that he says. Um, if you can even understand what the hell he's saying. Or if you could even, yeah. <laughs> You're kind of like just I like, said, what? if you could even understand what he was saying. Um, <laughs> I feel like Rose on Titanic, like, what? And he ultimately ended up in, uh, at uh, San Quentin prison uh in corcoran california um another i meant to say that um another uh musician that recorded some of his music um in the later it was actually in 2010 i believe was henry rollins recorded some um acoustic versions of manson songs um so in January of 2017, he suffered from gastrointestinal bleeding while he was in prison, uh, and it was deemed that he was too weak for surgery. Uh, he was returned to prison January 6th in November 20 of 2017, that same year. Um, it was released by an unauthorized source that he was returned to a hospital in Bakersfield, uh, but the California Department of Corrections did not confirm this due to privacy laws. Uh, and then it was ultimately announced that on November 19th, he had died uh, cardiac arrest that resulted from colon cancer, which could have been um, the GI bleeding that he was having at the time. 
Um, and then, like we mentioned before, he was 83 years old when he died. Um, so there was something kind of crazy after he died, too. It was people that laid claim to his body. Um, it ultimately came down to a pen pal of Manson's by the name of Michael Channels, who said that he had a will dated from 2002 that Manson had signed that left his body to him. But it was ultimately turned over to Manson's grandson. So like we mentioned, uh, Manson had a son, Charles Manson Jr., and uh, who changed his name to Freeman was the last name. Um, he committed suicide uh, not, lo not long after his son, Jason, was born. Um, you know, obviously couldn't deal with the fact that he was Charles Manson's son dealt with a lot of depression and alcoholism and things later on. Uh, Jason Freeman. Um, it, it, I'm sure some of you, if anybody out there is a Ghost Adventures fan, um, I know, I think he was on a couple episodes of Ghost Adventures. He was on one uh, specifically about Zach's uh, museum in Vegas because there was an item there that was from Charles Manson and he interviewed that. Jason Freeman. Um, so... Ultimately, Manson's body was given over to Jason as uh, DNA tests were done to match that Jason was Manson's biological grandson. Um, and that was determined in March of 2018, so well over a year after he had died. Um, and then his body was cremated on March 20th of 2018 and his ashes were scattered. Uh, there was actually a documentary on, uh, that was filmed. I can't remember. It may have been the Sundance channel or oxygen. One of those two channels that actually aired it. I think it was like an hour or two long documentary about the whole process of going through. Cause Jason Freeman himself is now he's married, he has kids. And it was just this whole process of not only, um, you know, getting awarded his body, but just, you know, going through the motions of realizing, you know, that he's Charles Manson's grandson and like, uh, you know, even, even had mentioned that, you know, he tried to like write him letters and get to know him while he was in prison. But obviously that was very difficult. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of shit, he's a lot of shit he would say didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, even to people that thought that they knew him, um, but I think ultimately not, not wanting to live with the stigma of being related to Charles Manson and meaning that you're some evil, cause I don't think Charles Manson was evil. I don't think any of these kids were evil. I just think he was, like I said, I think it was all circumstance. I think he just had a shit life. He didn't know how to live except to just be a criminal. And he took advantage of people because that's all he knew. And it just, and then taking advantage of these people led to just really, really, really horrific murders and just basically murders of people who were just kind of wrong place, wrong time. Which just really fucking sucks. People who are looking for love and unconditional love and unfortunately found it in the wrong place. Yeah. I'm sorry. So the prison, he was at San Quentin. He ultimately ended up dying at the California state prison. Um, 
so I was going to mention real quick. So he did have one biological child, and that was uh, Charles Manson Jr. Um, and then he was married twice. It was rumored again that he got married in 2014 to a 26-year-old who obtained a marriage license in November of that year. Um, but they actually didn't end up getting married, and the marriage license expired. Um, she was just another follower of Manson. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned too, with documentaries and several movies and things out there like him, I mean, I think a lot of this has to do with why a lot of people were worried about him getting out is that he, even now, has just kind of been an indelible part of American society. I mean, he's just kind of fit like, hell, Marilyn Manson got his name from Charles Manson. Uh, one of the biggest movies of this year, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, part of the movie mentions Manson. Uh, I mean, it's it's done fictionally, of course, but uh, that movie's set in 1969. Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate. Uh, that movie mentions Charles Manson and the Manson family. Um, Mindhunter. Really popular show on Netflix. It's all about FBI criminal profiling and serial killers. Mindhunter delves into, you know, they mention Charles Manson, but then really delve into Charles Manson in the most previous season. They actually interview him. So, um... It wasn't him, but Lord, I tell you what, that dude... What's what I was going to say, it's the same actor that was him that uh, played him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he actually played a younger version of Manson uh, in the Tarantino movie because it took place in 69, but in the Mindhunter television show because it takes place later in the 80s, so some time has passed, so he would be closer to his, what, 50s, 60s. By the time they interviewed him, it was the exact same guy, and he nailed it. I mean, oh looked God. like him, talked like him. You could watch the trailer same for it, and I was mannerisms, like, mannerisms, everything. Did he die? <laughs> like, like what the fuck? it was perfect. It was so spot on, and so like I said, there's been even prior to that, there's been countless, countless movies and documentaries that have featured Charles Manson. So he's just he's like a part of the lexicon. I mean, <laughs> he really is. Like, you can't say that name, and no one. There's not going to be anybody that doesn't know who what you're talking about. If you don't know, okay. If you ever come across somebody when you say Charles Manson and they don't know who you're talking about, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean you don't. He's not. You know, a lot of people don't know the names of serial killers. You don't have to be into serial killers to he's know. He's not Charles a serial Manson killer. Is. Number one. Yeah. And number I mean, two, he's actually a huge piece of history now. So. If you don't know who Charles Manson is, I can understand you not knowing who Ted Bundy is over Charles Manson. Right. Like, I'm sorry. You don't get a, you don't get a pass. <laughs> no passes for Manson. You know, and unfortunately, a big part of what tied into people knowing who he is had to do with the first murder because of who was murdered. Like, Sharon Tate was set to be a huge... Actress. She was this beautiful woman um, married to one of the most famous directors at that time, Roman Polanski, who never recovered after this. And, you know, I mean, movies got pretty dark. Like, Rosemary's Baby's a dark-ass fucking movie. And it, um, it, it's just sad because 
she's forever tied to that now. So, you know, anybody that ever sees her movies or any reference to her, it's always tied back in to Charles Manson. Even though he didn't know her, there was no personal connection, it's always tied back to to her, which is even more unfortunate. Um, You know, and oh, another thing I was going to mention too, so the original home, in case anybody's wondering, if anybody didn't know, the 10050 Cielo Drive, the original home was torn down. Um, There was another home built on the property that does not have the same um, address number, uh, but... Again, like I mentioned, Ghost Adventures, that home was investigated. That home is purportedly uh, extremely haunted. The owner has uh, allegedly witnessed seeing sightings of Sharon Tate's ghost that still supposedly haunts the property. Um, I wouldn't doubt that that property would still be haunted if Sharon's ghost isn't there. I mean, there were other people brutally murdered there, so I wouldn't doubt that that property's haunted. Um, like we mentioned, there's still possibly several bodies buried, uh, in Spawn Ranch, but, um, searches were called off some years back, uh, cause I think there has been ground penetrating sonar in some areas that was done where there weren't any bodies found, but there were other areas that were left unsearched. So who knows? I mean, there could be, and how deep does that uh, sonar go, you know, I mean, if they buried them any deeper than six feet, then maybe the bodies will never be found. So, uh, there's only been one quote unquote murder that Manson was ever linked back to, but was never convicted. He was convicted of murders that he had nothing to do with, but he's always set in the same lineup with serial killers, but he wasn't. But he was deemed dangerous because, you know, if this guy's got this, this is, this was cult leader before cult leader. This was before, (laughs) this was before David Koresh. This was before, you know, this was before all of that. This was before anybody, you know, we, you, people kind of had an idea what a cult was, but like I mentioned during the hippie movement, these new age religions, I mean, this was, like we said, he studied Scientology. So this was also kind of the beginning of Scientology. Any New Age, spiritual, you know, Hare Krishna, uh, Buddhism, anything that was considered uh, not Christianity, not not uh, anything that was a Western, quote unquote, religion was something that was really popular in the 60s because it connected with that counterculture. You know, everything during this time was about a war that was unjust, was about civil rights and and uh, blacks and whites being divided. So the country in itself was just in a big turmoil and people were wanting to bring it back to, uh, or hippies at that time were wanting to bring it back to love and freedom and free thinking and everybody come together. And these kids thought Charles Manson was the embodiment of that. Like I said, you take drugs with a weak mind and a charismatic leader and you've got all the makings of a cult and this is what it led to. So I even wanted to mention too, like there were a lot of, I mean, 
he even kind of looked like Jesus in a way. Like people would say, you know, I mean, he had that he definitely real long looked like hair. He walked out of the Bible. He well, he had that sort of like guru prophet look. He had very long hair. He had the long beard. He would stand a certain way. His voice projected in a certain way. And if he was saying what people wanted to hear, and then again linking it back to this very mystic music because at the time when the white album and yellow submarine and albums like that came out with the beatles this is when the beatles were experimenting with their music and their music took a transition where they were kind of you know they were into like hallucinogenic medic or hallucinogenic drugs and they their music was kind of trippy and changing and um you know if you had somebody that sick and twisted that read into it totally differently than what it was meant to then you know that's another thing that's unfortunate because Helter Skelter's a great fucking song. You know, White Album's a great song. I'm a huge Beatles fan. And unfortunately, that fucking song got tied into fucking Speaking of when Manson. she spelled it wrong so, when she wrote yeah. it in blood. Yep. Like did. you had a one job. A you had one job. Helter Seltzer. Alka Seltzer. Helter. Helter Seltzer. Helter Seltzer. Y'all need some. Y'all need some. Y'all need Seltzer. Y'all need some Helter Seltzer. Y'all need some Alka Seltzer? Clear up that phlegm. That <laughs> you got eggs? <laughs> you got eggs? You got Helter Seltzer? Helter Seltzer? You need some Alka Seltzer? Oh my god. That's, that's, that's all they needed. That's all they needed. They just needed more a glass they of water. Just and you just had to drop some Alka Seltzer. Alka Seltzer. That's all it was. Pop, pop, fizz, fizz. This is, this is a good place to end. <laughs> Hashtag Helta Seltzer. Pop, pop, fizz, fizz. Jesus Christ. That was a good place to end. I yes. like that. This is not Alka Seltzer. That ended on a good note. Let's end it on Alka Seltzer. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed. Let's that give it up for Becky. This was a great. I, I let Becky take over today because Manson's one of her favorites. So I let Even her kind of take the reins. Miscombobulated. Blah, blah, blah. But hey, <laughs> when you're dealing with somebody like Charles Manson, you're kind of all over the place to begin you're with. You're going to get all over the fucking place anyway, because <laughs> there was just a whole lot going on. He but yeah, there were a few things like, I, I just think it's interesting that a lot of people didn't know he was from Cincinnati. A lot of people still at the state didn't know he was from Cincinnati. So I shocked some people with that news today. Yep. They're like, he was born here? And, and they're that's like, exactly how they said it, too. <laughs> I was like, he was. Oh, Lord, he coming. <laughs> Y'all, I'm so obsessed well, with that phrase. I know somebody, I know someone, to not give a whole lot away, but I know someone who knew Dennis Wilson, and like that, to tell them the connection between Manson and Dennis Wilson like really fucked them up. And I was like, yeah, the Beach Boys even recorded some Manson songs. They're like, no, I'm like, sorry. <laughs> like, they weren't, they weren't hits though. I mean, it wasn't like Surfing USA wasn't written by fucking Charles Manson. So nobody freak out. It was, was like, it, it was uh 409. Giddy up. No, 409. No, was that, that a Manson song? No, that wasn't a Manson song either. So. Cause I could just see him writing just, that. <laughs> well, you know, had all, some those, all those fucking cars he stole. So there you go.
You have Ted Bundy who can't drive <laughs> worth a shit, and then you have Charles Manson who steals every car he can fucking get his hands on. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm starting to notice this like weird car connection where like there's a car pattern. Yeah, either they can't drive worth a shit or they don't know how to steal one. Dahmer didn't really have a car Come connection. On. No, no, he had the same car. <laughs> just you just had the same. He car. had the same car. You just the had time. the apartment. <laughs> anyway <laughs> <laughs> so guys that wraps up our Manson episode mm-hmm. hope you enjoyed, hope you enjoyed that <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry I've been like doubled over oh look you got to see my tummy I've been oh. like doubled over like this whole time and my body was like you need to well, stretch bitch they can't see your tummy so <laughs> <You're> lucky <laughs> so <laughs> Even though it's lost a lot of weight, we're not where we want to be. So, you guys, next week we're diving into probably my favorite subject in the entire fucking world, besides horror movies in general. Um, Skinwalkers. And if you know anyone of Navajo descent, or you are of Navajo descent, and you would feel comfortable talking about them, please contact me. Um... The best way to contact me, you can contact me through my Twitter, which is at Freddy's Muse, F-R-E-D-D-Y-S-M-U-S-E, or you can even email me through the um, podcast email, which is the DFWTO8493 at gmail.com. If you feel comfortable talking about them, great. If you don't, you don't have to do anything, obviously, because I know that that's kind of a taboo subject with the Navajo. Um... Because it's kind of under the same thing, like with Slenderman, where if you t- the more you talk about them and the more you think about them, that they appear. So, very thankful that hasn't happened to me because I think about them constantly. But, um, yeah, Skinwalkers are like super interesting to me. So I'm very excited to really dive into this subject and um, talk about them. As far as, like, what they're capable of and all that fun stuff, so. That's next week's episode, which will actually be coming to you on Tuesday, because next week is Thanksgiving. This is our first year of having the podcast, and of course all the holidays are hitting. Of course, with me, I'm always busy the Wednesday before Thanksgiving anyway. But all of the holidays, the big holidays are hitting on Wednesdays this year. (laughs) Of course. Right. Because, you know, we had to pick this year to do that. (laughs) It'll be another seven years. (laughs) But, um, so next week's episode will be on Tuesday, not Wednesday. Uh, So you guys get it one day early. Yay! (laughs) But, uh, yeah, next week will be about Skinwalkers, so make sure to come back for that. And now, a word from our sponsor. Calm your butt. Actually, I should do more of a Manson. (laughs) <laughs> okay can you do a calm like, no. your body down she's like i can't i, I was like no try. i can't i can't do it um <laughs> just it was no like, I can't. so before she goes into it real quick i want to say i used one of her bath bombs last night yes. it was the oatmeal honey one y'all let me tell you something <laughs> not only <laughs> did it smell fucking amazing I literally was so soft. Like, I say this every time, but every time I use one of your fucking bath bombs, I come out like a baby's butt. You're like, so <laughs> I'm like, I am soft. <laughs> so soft. 
So um, if you haven't ordered one of them, please do it. They're only $6 and they're worth every fucking penny. They're amazing. And I'm not just saying this because I'm one of her best friends. I legitimately mean it. Like five, five stars. Like I would buy one of hers over Lush's. And that's saying something because I fucking love Lush. Okay. I am not a Lush. I just love Lush. <laughs> a lot of people do. So anyway, go on. I just had to give that wonderful no, review. No, thank you. That was odd. <laughs> really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so the oatmeal honey ones have been super popular and doing great. Um, so like Casper mentioned, uh, everybody knows Thanksgiving is next week. So um, I don't know if I had mentioned before about um, all of the fall favorites, the apple cinnamon and the pumpkin spice and the oatmeal honey um, just going through until the end of November. Um, if I happen to mention that, scratch that, we're having them all the way through till uh, the end of the year. Um, I know people are still going to want them for Christmas, holiday gifts, either for themselves or others. So uh, they will still be on sale. And then um, Christmas. I know a lot of people have been jumping the gun early with a lot of Christmas scents. Um, I wanted to wait a bit, but not too late. So, um, not going to do anything like, not going to release anything on Black Friday. We'll have everything actually released next week. So there will be some Christmas, uh, themed and Christmas scents coming out next week with the bath bombs. Um, and then, you know, I still got the body creams, guys. It's cold. Skin is dry. Uh, not only do the bath bombs work great for, you know, with all the essential oils and everything, but I've got the body creams too. So, um, do you, is your skin <laughs> and you want it to be, uh, <laughs> order a bath bomb today. That was awesome. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> I just felt like it like, needed to be done because like, is your skin uh, <laughs> and you want it to be. Because <sighs> that's what my skin was. My skin's been... <laughs> Yesterday I got out and I was like... Uh. Well, and who doesn't want to come home after a rough day and it's cold as hell outside and be in a nice warm bath and then get out and not only have nice smooth skin too because it's dry around this time of year anyway. So um, like Casper mentioned, the bath bombs are six bucks. Um, everything though is 20% off. See your BD20. That's the code you want to use. DFWTO. You can use that code as well for free shipping. Um, the Instagram page is probably the best place to go to get any information about the bath bombs. It's at see your BD, but the shop, everything is on sale at Etsy. Search Calm Your Body Down on Etsy or the link is on the Instagram page. So thanks, guys, again. And look forward to next week. Make sure you keep checking the Instagram page every time because that's when I will have the new Christmas stuff posted. We wish you the merriest, merriest, the merriest. <laughs> that has been in my head. It's so that time of year, too. I'm like, it really I just got to get it. I'm, I'm, I'm in it now. I started listening to Christmas music hard yesterday. I'm it in happened. it now. It happened. Next week, it will definitely hit me. I will be in that mode. I've got a few Christmas things up. We just gotta get that tree up. And then, once your tree is up, you have to be in the Christmas. It's time. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> that's it. It is, it is time. <laughs> and instead of holding up Sunday, he's holding up a Christmas tree. <laughs> it is time. Candy canes. Anyway. Um, anyway. <laughs> 
So I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. All right, guys. So social media, we've been getting a lot more followers on Podbean, which is awesome. Thank Whoa. you all so much. Appreciate we have not stopped climbing since we were featured, which is really fucking awesome. And we appreciate each one of you. Welcome to all of our new listeners. If this is your first episode, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you continue to listen. Um, so if you want to follow us on other social media, feel free to do so on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All at Don't Fuck With The Original. Please make sure to spell it out to the letter and the apostrophe because it's that picky. The Twitter handle is DFWTO8811. If you do not follow us on Podbean and you have another type of uh, podcast app, we are also on Spotify, CastBox, Podcast Player, and Podcast And Addicts. again, Spotify search to the letter. To the letter. It's, sure it's put very... In don't, with an apostrophe and search under podcasts. Yes. Specifically on Spotify. But we are on there. We are there. I promise you we are there. Um, and also, like I mentioned before, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments or anything like that, and you want to contact me about Skinwalkers... Please do so at dfwto8493 at gmail.com. Come back next week. We'll be shape sh- shifting. <laughs> we're going to be shape shifting. With We're going to be shape shifting with Alka Seltzers. <laughs> okay, guys, we'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.